Shang-Chi made how much money during its opening weekend? Plus, what if episode 5 had zombies? All that and more coming up right now on 15 Minutes of Marvel. There was an idea. Because if we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. We're going to do this all day. What are they called again? Annulax batteries. Harvey Larry batteries. As far as I'm concerned, that's America's ass. I control the truth. Mysterio is the truth. Boom. You looking for this? What's up and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Marvel, the only podcast that gives you Marvel reviews, news, and rumors in pretty much 15 minutes. I'm your host, Ethan Simi. What a weekend it was. Shang-Chi made a stupid amount of money and blew everybody's expectations out of the water, which was amazing to see. Simu Liu had a ball on social media. If you weren't following along, he was having a pretty fun time trolling everybody that thought this movie would flop. Go check it out. But yeah, let's talk about Shang-Chi before I dive into my review of episode five of What If, because I feel like we need to talk about this. I have Shang-Chi facts. Are you ready? Get ready, because I'm, I'm coming at you with the facts, whether you're ready or not. Currently, Shang-Chi sits as MCU's highest audience-rated film on Rotten Tomatoes at 98%, surpassing Spider-Man Far From Home that sits at 95%. Also, Shang-Chi is 93% certified fresh from critics, so kind of a big deal. Shang-Chi debuted with a four-day total of $94.67 million dollars way outgrossing what some people believed would be a 40 to 50 even a 60 million dollar opening weekend but no 94.67 million dollars making 19.2 million dollars on monday on labor day itself leading it to being the 27th biggest monday of all time just ahead of 2012's The Avengers, and slightly behind The Dark Knight Rises. That's a big deal. I know I say 27th biggest Monday, and you're probably like, eh, 27th, what does it matter? But that's a big deal, especially when you're talking about in a pandemic, during a Labor Day weekend, when people generally do not go see movies, they go outside, because it's potentially one of the last nice weekends of the year, and it's it's just it's a it's a big deal. Okay, it's a big deal. The biggest box office Monday during the pandemic era, like I said, and it smashed the previous Labor Day weekend record holder, which was the 2007 remake of Halloween, which held 30 million dollars over the Labor Day weekend. This movie pulled in 94.67. It more than tripled the previous Labor Day weekend record holder. That's bananas. The second biggest domestic opening to Black Widow, which had a day and date release. So Black Widow currently holds the number one spot of the highest domestic box office opening weekend for 2021. Shang-Chi comes in just behind that. And I think this is a very interesting situation. And what I continue to talk about on this podcast and on Twitter of the ongoing conversation of day and date releases. Do they work? Are they what's best for people? Are they what's best for everybody? And what is it going to be going forward? Did Shang-Chi save the box office? I don't think so. I I don't want to put that much weight and that much pressure on this single film and say, look, this is the movie that did it. It saved the box office and now people are back to the movies. I don't think that's fair. And I don't really think that's how things are going to be 
measured or looked at going forward. I don't think you can attribute it to one single film saying, yeah, that's the one that pulled everybody back. Sure, it crushed records, which is amazing and got tons of people out to see it, which is fantastic. But I don't think it's the single movie that saved the box office. Absolutely, it helped. But again, don't think it's the single one. The questions that come up from this opening weekend that I have is... Will Shang-Chi see the same second weekend drop-off that nearly every single pandemic movie has seen? We're talking about everything, including Black Widow, that saw like a minus 60% in the second weekend of viewing. People just don't go back to the theater because we had day-and-date releases. When you look at movies like Kong vs. Godzilla and The Suicide Squad and other massive movies for the year that fared quite well, they were all day-and-date releases, except for A Quiet Place 2, which sits among the top ranks and was a theater-specific movie. But you have a lot of repeat viewers not going back to the theater because they can see it at home. Now you take a movie like Free Guy that came out just a handful of weeks ago and had a fantastic second weekend because it was a theater-only release. People had to go back to the theater to see it. This, again, is just such an interesting dichotomy of day and date versus theater exclusive. What does it mean for box office numbers? What does it mean for studios? What does it mean for viewers? And what does it mean for the movie industry going forward as a whole? I like the lack of day and date release for Shang-Chi. I think it supports the idea of having a big second weekend with repeat viewings coming through and keeping Eternals where it is and keeping Spider-Man No Way Home where it is and proving the point that people do want to get to a theater if they feel safe to do so and they want to be part of this cultural phenomenon of seeing a movie on opening weekend. That's what people like to do. But I do think... It is tough. It's tough because I have friends that their schedules and their health and their lives don't allow them to go to a movie theater. They don't feel safe or they just can't fit it in or whatever the case may be. And so they cannot be part of this Shang-Chi conversation. They cannot be uh, among the first people to see it. They can't even see it in general until this 45-day exclusive theatrical window is over. So it does have its drawbacks. Absolutely. Marvel Studios has about two weeks to determine if the Eternals will stay in its current release date of November 5th, if it'll get pushed back, or if it'll go day and date. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know. I don't know. Let me know what you think they're going to do. I, for one, hope they keep it theatrical only. I think they can do it, and I think it is of benefit to do so. But again, we will see Shout Out Shang-Chi just smashing records and and just proving everybody that uh, this movie took way too long to get into into our hands and, and we needed it a long time ago. What if episode five happened this morning? I just watched it and I'm ready to talk about it because this was a cool episode. This was this was rad. It was fun, it was dark, it was emotional, it was just really, really cool in general. It was called What If Zombies. And look, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta start this off with a gripe. Kind of a lame title. I mean, I, I don't know. I just maybe I'm not enamored by zombies like a lot of people are. Zombies don't get me super hyped for a lot of things. Like if you're tossing zombies in there, I'm like, all right, cool, zombies. I don't know. It doesn't do a whole lot for me. So I feel like the title, just saying zombies, is a little lackluster because you have the title right before it. What if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? What if 
the Earth's mightiest heroes had fallen. Like, these types of things that give us kind of more context, but, you know, little little gripes here and there, I guess. In this episode, we see Hank Pym travels to the Quantum Realm to save Jaina Dine, only to find out she contracted some sort of quantum virus that turned her into a zombie, which inevitably comes back to the real world with Hank Pym. The entire Pacific Northwest gets infected within a couple days. It's pandemonium. It's madness. Zombies everywhere. The Avengers show up uh, to help, and no gun, no gun, no dice. It doesn't work. Hank takes him down. Other zombies take him down, living the world seemingly defenseless, except for the few other survivors that we get to follow in this episode. Like I said, it was dark emotional. It was fun. I think it sets a really good tone for the episode because within the first few minutes, you are watching zombies lose their heads. R.I.P. Wong, R.I.P. Iron Man, giant ants are eating people. I think it starts off really quite well and and dark and fun, honestly. I think those are like the best words I can choose to describe it. I was pleasantly surprised with how dark it got in a very good way. I think that Marvel is proving over the last few episodes of What If that they can tackle a darker tone, a darker imagery, and they can do it really well while still conveying an emotionally driven plot and story. I think that's the tough trade-off Generally, what we've seen from Marvel and other properties, other studios, is that you can have one or the other. You can go dark or you can get emotional and drama-driven. You can't do both super, super well. So impressive for Marvel to kind of prove and start start wading into this water that they can do something like that. I still think that episode four, what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands, is a more impactful episode and has a stronger emotionally driven core to it but this episode does deliver on some big feelings and stays true to what episode four and what shang chi showed us actually that some people will just go to any lengths to be with the ones that they love now this is the third project in a row one two three that that this is the core theme and the core idea which leads me to believe we have not seen the last of it why would you have this core theme of going to great lengths for the people that you love in three consecutive projects only for you to to abandon it and go in a different direction with stuff? Doesn't make sense. I think, personally, that this could be a main trope of Phase 4 as a whole. I think we could see a big movie like Thor Love and Thunder, even, even possibly Multiverse of Madness, use the idea of sacrifices for love to convey the main storyline and the main plot. And I think that these are kind of some testing grounds so far with the What If episodes to see if we can get them to work. And so far, so good. We know it works. We know it tugs at people's heartstrings. And it's a really, really efficient way to automatically make a character deeper and make people care about a character even more. So I think it's working quite well. Um, I, I liked the emotional aspect of this episode and I just didn't like it as much as episode four. I think there were some moments where Peter mentions Aunt May and Uncle Ben and kind of their influence on his personality traits. I think that personally was more emotional to me than Vision sacrificing himself by removing the Mind Stone and allowing Wanda to basically just, I don't feast on him. I'd eat him. I don't know. I think the Vision scene... To me, it just it felt quickly put together. It felt really quickly execu- executed. And it just felt like it had this 
differing energy from the rest of the episode and from the scenes you know in front of it and behind it it just to me that scene didn't necessarily work it didn't really move me it just seemed like that decision for vision to stay behind was exceptionally rushed and rash whereas we spent the entirety of episode four building up to a big decision so i know two different episodes apples and oranges but I just don't think that vision scene necessarily spoke to me on that emotional level level as much as Peter talking about Aunt May or Uncle Ben or, or things like that. Um, so, you know, and I think part of what made the episode so fun, though, is that it's brand new. It's something that we've never seen before. A completely new setting, a new adventure, something just totally brand new with a new team of heroes that really we haven't exclusively seen before that we get to now be a part of and dive into. So I think that's the point of what if. I, I, I think they executed that perfectly. Also, just a quick little tidbit. Shout out Marvel for crushing episode fours in all of their Disney Plus series. We're talking John Wa- John Walker murdering someone in broad daylight. Loki discovering and revealing the timekeepers to be frauds. We're talking about Wanda being revealed to be controlling the hex. They know how to smash the episode fours. And like I said, episode four to me, still the strongest of the What If series. And I think that falls right in line with what Disney Plus and their series are doing right now. So honestly, God level shit from episode fours. So just so we're all aware, when it comes to Hawkeye, when it comes to Moon Knight and She-Hulk and everything else down the line, you keep those peepers peeled for episode four because they're going to get you. A couple other quick thoughts. Happy Hogan. My boy Happy was back, baby. Loved Happy Hogan back. I thought that was so much fun. He was hilarious and saddest death of the episode. Easy. That uh, That's my guy. That's my guy. That was tough. Uh, voices. I always talk about the voices for every single episode. Hudson Thames voiced the zombie hunter version of Spider-Man in this episode and just blew it out of the park. Re- I, I, I really thought so. Best voice performance of the show so far directly fit the energy the humor the warm tone of tom holland and i think it was great i think i think it really really just did a fantastic job i still think that paul bettany has one of the softest and just most elegant voices in all of the mcu and this episode had basically all og mcu characters so testament to this episode and or this series really as a whole and just how phenomenal it is and how epic it is that you can get all of these crazy famous people in this show the ending some things are inevitable i am inevitable like thanos gathering all the infinity stones and having mad drip even when he's a zombie my guy had vibes and god that was that was king shit from him right there he was looking fire i just want to say i love 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 this ending i absolutely adore this style of ending, and I hope we get more of it in the future, that not everything is is explained into the ground. We are left to infer, to believe what happened, and to make our own storyline past what the episode actually shows us. And you know, this is exactly like Hunter B-15 and Loki. We don't see what's in her mind. We don't know what made her happy. Those types of things actually live better in our head, the viewer's mind. We all now have our own individual story of what happens next in this what-if universe. Does Peter and the team put up a really good fight and barely lose? 
Do they get absolutely mauled the second they get into Wakanda? We'll never know, and that is up to everybody's own individual interpretation and storyline. And that's why I think an ending like this is so effective. Overall, uh, I'm going to give this episode a solid 8.3. I think that... I think that ranking holds the second place for me. It was fun. It was adventurous. It was filled with the right kind of humor from Happy Hogan and Scott Lang and gave us completely new world to be invested in. It just lacked the emotional depth of the previous episode and didn't progress toward a bigger, more grandiose tale of fate or man or anything like that. It was more on the fun side of things. What did you think of episode 5 of What If? Let me know on Twitter at 15MinuteMarvel. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on any major podcast platform. Huge shout out to the patrons of the show, Brandon Clark and Hajir Shakib. Thank you so much. I will see you back here next time. I'm Ethan Simi. And remember, always go higher, further, and faster.